This is Paul Schneiderman today on the 56th edition of Sports and Stuff on RainierAvenueRadio.world, a Seattle-based station on the World Wide Web. I have as a very special desk today, Seattle Mariners General Manager Jerry DePoto. Uh, I want to go over a few housekeeping things here at Rainier Avenue Radio. Um, there's a lot going on in our station, news shows, music shows, political shows. We have a great sports department. My engineer today, Chad Anderson, is the host of a great uh, new rap show. Um, a lot of my interviews are on my law firm website, ploslawoffices.com, and on Mixcloud. Well, my guest today, Jerry DePoto, has been the Mariners General Manager since 2015. Uh, Jerry was part of the great 2004 Boston Red Sox squad as a scout. Jerry grew up in New Jersey, played at Virginia Commonwealth University, also played Major League Baseball for about seven years. Uh, Jerry worked for several franchises before landing as the General Manager of the Seattle Mariners. Jerry, thank you for coming on Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio. I'm glad to join, Paul. Really appreciate it. It was nice to meet you at that great Fred Hutch event a few weeks back. Well, Jerry, many people around the country in the Pacific Northwest know your, about your work as a baseball executive. Why don't you take a minute and share with us um, how you got the baseball bug as a young kid growing up in New Jersey? Baseball has obviously been a big part of your life. Uh, I mean, it's a, probably in some ways, uh, whether you know, wanted to or not, baseball has, has kind of defined my life. It, I've done it. Since I was, since I can remember, I mean, my uh, my earliest photo uh, is of my my dad taking me out to the pitcher's mound at Doubleday Field in Cooperstown, and and uh, and taking a little shot when I was just an infant, and uh, and played little league baseball, high school, college, uh, went off and and signed a professional contract with the Cleveland Indians in 1989, and. Uh, came through the system, made my major league debut with the Indians in May of 1993, uh, pitched the next eight years in the big leagues, and uh, retired in the spring of 2001 and immediately went into front office work in, in March 2001, and I've been doing it ever since. It's uh, I love it. I've, I've experienced the game from about any level you could imagine, from a, a minor to a major league player to you know, a scout in the field, a front office person, uh, directing departments like uh, player development and scouting, and and now for the last eight years as a general manager for a couple of different clubs, which is uh, it, it's very gratifying. And and I've had the different experiences of of building uh, high powered teams. We had a 98 win team a handful of years ago when I was with the. The Angels and and currently uh, with the Mariners while rebuilding a, a roster that we're very excited about where it's where it's headed and and the progress that we've made. So baseball has been all of my work life. It's been most of my my young growing life. And my wife and kids were <laughs> were either married or born into it, and they have had no choice. But they love it too. Well, it sounds like it's almost a genetic thing, Jerry. Baseball for you, and as you mentioned, you've you've seen the game and worked in the game in so many different facets. So it's. Uh... It's fun to hear more about your background. I think my listeners will enjoy learning a little bit, little bit more about you. Jerry, you had an approximate seven-year career as a major league pitcher, um, I think from about 93 to 2000. You pitched almost 500 innings, by the way, which I didn't realize before I uh, was doing my pre-show research for your interview. Can you mention like one or two really fond memories that you had in your major league baseball playing career? Uh, sure. You know, I, I think by... Actually, by major league service, I ended up with a tick over eight years of service, um, and the the bulk of which was spent in the National League. Six years in the National League with the the Mets and the Rockies, and 
and a couple of years at the outset with the Indians with some, uh, some DL time at the very end with the Rockies. But, you know, I think the, the, the easy thing to remember is that you got to live your dream. And I will never forget the first time I stepped out on the major league field. Uh, I, I was as nervous as could be, uh, warming up in the bullpen in old Cleveland municipal stadium. Uh, we were playing the Kansas city Royals and I, I, Came running into the game. I'm throwing my warm-up pitches, and Mike McFarland's getting ready to step in the box. And and my the, the only thing I can think about is, oh my gosh, that's George Brett standing over there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know, it was uh, it was an unbelievable experience, probably for most players. And I can say this, having never been on the field as a World Series winning player, for most players that have never won a World Series and competed in that type of environment. Uh, the thing they usually remember most is their first day. And and that's similar to me. Uh, I played for teams, some teams that were better than others. And uh, I, I loved every second of it along the way. I got to play for my favorite childhood team. I grew up in, like you said, in New Jersey. I was a New York Mets fan as a kid and a uh, big Tom Seaver fan in the, in the 70s before he was traded off to Cincinnati. Uh, and then, you know, begrudgingly followed him when, when he got over to the Reds, but always remained a Met fan and then had the, the pleasure of pitching there, which is another great thrill for me, just being able to, to oh, pitch for my, my boyhood team. That was a blast. And then the individual things. I usually remember the negative moments more than the positive, you know, the home runs you gave up or <laughs> but yeah, the saves you blew along the way because they tend to stick out, but there were so many positive moments along the way as well. And most of them were, were the, the camaraderie that you shared with teammates. You know, and very few major league players played as long as you did, Jerry, either, so that you, you definitely had a, had a good career there. This is Paul Schneiderman, host of Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio with Seattle Mariners General Manager Jerry DePoto. This is going to be more of a condensed, probably 15, 20-minute version of Sports and Stuff today. We're going to get in some more great topics with uh, the Mariners GM. Jerry, you've openly referred to the 2019 Mariners season as, I think, a step-back year. Um, I don't want to put too many words in your mouth, Jerry, but you've, you've come up with a great line. You, you want to reimagine the roster. Um, what are some good things that you've seen on the field in this 2019 season, Jerry, despite the likely last-place finish? Yeah, we didn't anticipate uh, being a contender this year, and and – and I would say that that's, that's probably not very different than the way we feel headed into 2020. You know, we, we knew that this was going to be a two-year project and, and just turning our roster over and putting our, our future more in uh, the center of, uh, of our game plan rather than uh, whatever comes next, so to speak. So, you know, 2019 for us was a year to, to start gathering the assets to build with. And, and that has certainly happened. You know, you at the major league level – it's, we are in last place in the West. Uh, we, we're going to have to climb hard to get out of this position before the season ends. So we look at this as a building opportunity. And you know, what we've seen here, the, the continued solid performance of Marco Gonzalez at the top of our rotation, he's been two years of just steadiness. Uh, watching some of the younger players ascend to the big leagues, I guess most especially J.P. Crawford, who arrived in May sure. and has solidified himself as an everyday player in the big leagues. With that 24 years old, that's what we were looking for. It's most recently the additions of, of young players like Justice Sheffield and Jake Fraley. 
And then the development of, of players who might not be young uh, in terms of building blocks like 22, 23 that you get from prospects, but young major league players like Tom Murphy and Omar Narvaez particularly uh, who have stepped up and done an excellent job for us this year and made themselves a part of at least the, the medium term at, at 27 and 28 years old. They're both very much a part of our plan moving forward. And then the, what we think is a flourishing minor league system that portends better things as we move ahead. Yeah, there's been some good stuff. One thing lately, Jerry, it's been nice to see as a longtime Mariners fan chatting with you, is uh, Kyle Seeger's come back a little bit the last month or so. Yeah, Seeger's has been fantastic. And you know, I, I had the opportunity to, to walk into the ballpark with him the other day, and, and I, I said to him, I, I can't tell you how happy I am with the way that you have transitioned with this team. And you know, the, the last year and a half, you know, leading into 2019 for Kyle had not been uh, the best version of Kyle Seeger. And I was fortunate enough in 2016, my first full season here, uh, to see Kyle at the height of his ability. And it's just a fantastic player. This year, we are seeing a return to that level of play, which is very exciting for us. He seems very engaged in what we're doing. And I think as a result, the longest tenured Mariner position player uh, is he is really embracing what we're doing. And that's exciting. And it's uh, it's it's only secondary to how good he's been on the field. Yeah, no, some some good stuff has been happening at, uh, despite the, the, the record. Uh, Paul Scheinman, again, of Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio with the Mariners GM, Jerry DePoto. So, you know, when you look at the roster, Jerry, you got guys like Jared Kellenek, Adam Dunn. Evan White, Justin Sheffield, you had all these great Mariners and the in, uh, likely great Mariners in the system right now. Do you anticipate Jerry though making some free agent signings in the early 2020s to help supplement a lot of these younger players that are going to be on the Mariner roster? It looks like in the 2020 in the early 2020s. I'd say it's unlikely. We're going into 2020 trying to build toward that group and and give them opportunity. And it's hard to provide opportunity when the opportunity is being taken by veteran major league players. So, you know, we're looking at more subtle, you know, smaller signings and guys that can stabilize our roster, maybe closer to what you saw last year with some of the free agent additions that we made than anything splashy. And to set ourselves up for what we think is by midseason, a young team that will be built around a lot of the prospects that, that are currently playing between double and triple A in our system. Hopefully guys like Logan Gilbert and Evan White, and Kyle Lewis, and perhaps Jared Kelnick and the, the Justin Dunn's and, and it's, it's a really good group. And we feel like by midseason next year, they're ready to go. And we don't see value in blocking their way in a season that we don't think we're going to, to make a push for the, the American League West. So fans should not expect any bonanza free agent signings in the next couple of years, likely, then, Jerry. I, I can't say the next couple of years. I can say 2020. We are likely to start with a young building roster. By midseason or July 2020, you know, it, we'll let our young roster and the development of that roster help us determine when we can uh, it would make sense for us to go out and add that could be as early as july of 2020 or it could be sometime in 2021 but we're fully right now invested in building from the grassroots level and believe that it's going to bear fruit yeah we'll have to see what happens looking forward to it by the way jerry that great reimagining the loster line um it's definitely gotten some uh some talk did you come up with that line by the way 
Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's gotten some talk. Sometimes <laughs> the talk is ridicule, <laughs> but you know, I think the there was a it was an office project where I asked everybody to take an empty roster, so effectively a, a 25-man roster, accounting for each position on the field, and uh, we guaranteed contracts were included, and they had to include the contract unless they were uh, hypothetically trading it along. And then asked them to look around the league, look for trade partners, free agents, etc., and reimagine the roster to look like whatever they wanted it to look like. And uh, and that project turned into uh, there were I would say a handful of our baseball personnel who took part, uh, and by handful I mean more than ten, less than twenty, and they each of them had some form of a rebuild. So uh, that that led us to the, all right, how are we going to do this if we don't want to go through the long five, six, seven-year rebuilds that, that are required of at the baseball level? It's, you know, baseball rebuilds generally take somewhere between five and seven years to, to reach their their peak. Sure. And we wanted to figure out a way to cut that in half and, and hopefully we've we've tapped into that. Time will tell, but we feel like the early returns so far look pretty good. By the way, I wasn't ridiculing the reimagining the roster line. I think it's just a very clever kind of CEO business world line. So I want to share that with you. I, I just think it's just a line that I think's captured a lot of people in the Pacific Northwest and around the country when the, the way you describe you wanted to transform the roster. Jerry, um, you probably never had this specific question before, but something I've always been curious about, a trade deadline question. So... Um, maybe modern technology helps take care of this, but what happens if, say, you're on the phone with the Nationals five or seven minutes before the trade deadline, and say the GM of the Marlins is trying to call you a couple minutes before the deadline? How do you make sure you don't miss a call right before the trade deadline? There's in those moments you you hit mute and you ask one of the the assistants in the room to call his counterpart with the Marlins and and make sure it stays live, but. For the most part, you going into deadline day or even let, let's call it at least by mid-morning on deadline day, yeah. most of the teams that you are going to do business with, you've been engaged with for quite some time. Uh, you're not going to receive very many dry calls that late in the process. Uh, most, uh, I mean, you may receive a call deadline week where somebody engages you that you weren't previously expecting, but for the most part... The conversations leading into the July trade deadline are oftentimes starting roughly the day after the June draft ends. So sometime in the first week of June every year is when the, the trade discussions begin. So most of what we do on, on July 31st has generally been brewing since June 10th. So it's, a, it's, not, a, it's not a short, quick burst. We, we typically know exactly where we're going. It's just a matter of, will somebody meet your price or will you acquiesce? Well, thank you for sharing that. I was just kind of wondering, maybe some fans were too, that maybe a half hour or even 10 minutes before the deadline, some major call could, could come in. But I think your, your elaboration on how the system works uh, at least educated me a little bit. Paul Schneiderman, again, on sports and stuff. we got a couple minutes left with uh, the Mariners general manager, Jerry DePoto on RainierAvenueRadio.world. Jerry, there's been a lot of talk going on about baseball rules changes, like Independent Atlantic League has enacted all sorts of rules changes, including a rule that allows, I believe, a batter to try to steal first base. What are some of your feelings about some of these proposed rules changes in the the game of baseball? 
I think it's necessary. You know, baseball is probably as close to its original version as any of the major sports. Uh, and by original, I mean the game that we started playing in the 1870s. So it's uh, while the game has grown and the players have certainly evolved in, in terms of their physicality, the things they're capable of doing, whether it's high-end velocity or, or over-the-fence home run power, the the, our athletes have evolved, and the game, one of the, the romantic aspects of baseball is that it does remain very, very similar to the way it was played so many years ago. Right. Now, in order for the game to remain relevant, to remain in the, in the, with some degree of fan appeal, I think you have to grow with the time. And, and I, I applaud MLB for attempting to make uh, the types of changes to the way the game is played that might allow for the game to be played a little quicker. And, and by quicker, I mean on the, the clock. I also mean with the speed, the pace of the game. Uh, you know, watching baseball played at a fast pace is, is really fun. And I think a lot of what you're seeing now is built around the idea of speeding a game up, both in how long the games take and in the, the, the entertainment value of what's happening on the field. Because particularly in the last handful of seasons, the game has gotten a little slow. It's very much built around three true outcomes, strikeouts, walks, and home runs. And and while the home runs are exciting and the strikeouts, depending on who you favor, can also be exciting, that doesn't lend itself to a very active game. And and a lot of these suggested rule changes are trying to do just that, speed up and, and make the game more interesting. Well, Jerry, I, I appreciate it. If we had some more time, I'd, I'd probably pick your brain more on some of the specific proposed rules changes. we got like maybe a minute left, and I can't help it. My curiosity just is so rampant sometimes. I could talk to you for hours, but wouldn't do that to Jerry. Felix Hernandez is an iconic part of the Seattle sports landscape. Can you envision any hypothetical scenario where Felix could be on the 2020 Mariners roster? I have a wild imagination. So the answer is yes. <laughs> uh, you know, I can envision a, 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 a scenario where he's here. I, I would say that, you know, a lot of where Felix is over the last three or four years is a result of, of how awesome he was for the previous 10 or 11 years. And, uh, you know, for, for a decade, Felix was among the best in the game and, and carried very high inning totals, oftentimes at very young ages and, and dominated oftentimes the, the league around him. And, you know, the last three or four years have not been as good. That's been very clear to everybody, and including us and Felix. But, you know, we are a team that is built right now toward the future. We are trying to get younger. Uh, and while there is a scenario where I can envision moving forward, that's, that's mostly the iconic version of Felix. You want to stay connected to your great players. And, you know, I, I, I don't want to forsake the possibility that that happens, but we view our future as being Marco Gonzalez and Yusei Kikuchi and Justice Sheffield and Justin Dunn and ultimately Logan Gilbert and others. And, and again, it's very hard to give them opportunity unless you provide the innings to do that. Jerry, so, really enjoyed. Well, stay open-minded. It's not a guarantee. Jerry, sorry for interrupting. I really enjoyed having you come on Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio. Let's you and I stay in touch. Thank you so much. Thanks, Paul. You take care.